You are listening to Black Cloud Society. Hey guys, what's going on? Good to be back with you once again for another installment of your favorite podcast. I'm coming to you today from, honestly, I'm a little fired up today. And I'm fired up about today's topic because not only is it something that I'm genuinely passionate about, but because it comes from a place of recent conversations, conversations that I've had with a couple friends, a couple colleagues, um, and even a couple of members of leadership within the organization that I'm involved in currently. And what we're going to talk about today is four epic failures in leadership. And that is how leadership is either failing you or how you as a leader are failing those that you're trying to lead. So stay tuned this week, guys, as we talk about four main points of F-Dub leadership. This episode was brought to you by Blackout Coffee. Visit them at www.blackoutcoffee.com and enter coupon code BLACKCLOUD at checkout and receive a 10% discount on multiple blends and flavors to fuel your coffee, cocoa, and loose-leaf tea needs. Now, I know the title probably caught your attention when I said effed up leadership. That's really what it is. It's effed up because all four of my points today begin with the letter F. So that's why I decided to call it effed up leadership. But as you can imagine, it might be called that for more than one reason. And we'll get into exactly what those reasons are. Now, as I said in the intro, this comes from a place of recent conversations that I've had with a couple colleagues and a couple friends, a couple fellow leaders, and like I said, even leadership within the organization. But it came from frustration. Everybody pretty much that I spoke to, really inadvertently, it wasn't like I was seeking out these people to have these conversations about failed leadership, but that's just where the conversation led to. And it was all venting, essentially, about how leadership has failed them, about how upper management is failing middle management, and even how us as leaders are recognizing certain areas where we're failing. We're realizing that we're not necessarily having an impact on the people that we're supposed to be leading. We're not gaining the respect that we need to be able to actually have any influence on the people we're trying to lead. In talking to all these individuals, I came up with four common areas that we were all able to identify. And that area number one is in the area of friendship. And that's because leadership is a lonely place. 
or it can be. The friends that you had before you made your way into that leadership position or whether you were promoted or whether you put in for it or whatever, the friends that you had before within the industry, I'm not saying friends outside of work, that's different, but friends within your company can no longer be your friends because it cannot in any way look as though you're giving preferential treatment. Now, I'm not saying you can't be friendly, but it's difficult to, you know, let me, unless you're able to abide by and set clear cut boundaries, not everybody has the ability to separate work from non-work relationships. Yeah, they can be your friend outside of work and they can be your friend inside of work if you work together. But at the same time, if it is a leadership subordinate type relationship, that friendship cannot get in the way of making rational decisions. And a lot of times we have the tendency of wanting to be everybody's friend, wanting to make everybody happy. You need to understand that in a leadership position, you are not going to make everybody happy. You can't walk around the mentality of trying to make everybody like you, trying to make everybody who's under you be your friend just so that you're not, you know, you're walking around with the mentality of not wanting to piss anybody off, not wanting to make anybody upset, not wanting to create waves, not wanting to, you know, trying to avoid the confrontation. While you can be friendly, it is impossible to be friends with every single person that is below you. And that kind of mends into the second point of favoritism. The second point of failure is favoritism. I cannot tell you the amount of leaders, quote unquote, and I use the term loosely, leaders, that I've seen throughout my course who have played ridiculous amounts of favoritism. And that is because partially they have difficulty those lines are blurred between, you know, friend and supervisor. But clear-cut favoritism, even, honestly, subconscious favoritism, can get in the way of making rational leadership decisions and can impact morale across the board of the organization, can impact other business decisions, can impact finances, can impact everything. Do we subconsciously play favorites? Absolutely. I mean, we even do it with our kids. You know, I know you're not supposed to have favorite kids, but every single one of you out there who has children, unless you have one child only, that then you're it's okay to have a favorite. But every single one of you subconsciously treats one of them as a favorite, whether you like to believe it or not. And the same can be said in our workplace. It can be said in our leadership positions. We're going to have those people that we are just drawn to, people that we like better because they're good performers. They do what needs to be done. Obviously, I'm going to treat someone a little bit better who performs. You know, if you are a higher performer than anybody else, then you kind of deserve to be treated better. But at the same time, that kind of borrows that, walks that line of, favoritism. And we cannot show favoritism in any way, any shape or form, when we're talking about a leadership position, which also kind of goes into the next point of fairness, you got to treat everybody fairly. And if you're if you're friends with somebody, if you're treating someone as a favorite, then there's going to be lack of fairness across the board. Now, let me get this, this straight. Fairness does not mean equal treatment. It does not mean everybody gets treated the same exact way. It means that everybody gets treated with the same 
respect. It means everybody gets treated and held to the same standard. But at the same time, it means everybody gets an equal chance at the same result. Now, there are different ways we have to deal with people. There are different personality types. So I might not be able to deal with, you know, so-and-so one way because they're super, super sensitive and take everything, you know, out of context or whatnot. Sometimes we have to handle certain people, certain personality types, certain ways. But in doing so, we're not showing favoritism to them. What we're doing is we're giving them equal opportunity at the same result as someone else who we might be able to deal with and handle a different way. So we cannot be friends with everybody. You cannot show favoritism and you cannot treat people unfairly. It has to be equal respect across the board, equal chance at the same result, equal chance of success. If you're not attempting to set your people up for success, then what is it you're actually leading them to do? It's expected of them to do their job. They shouldn't need leadership to do their job. What you're doing in your leadership position is setting them up, leading them to a road of success within that position. For example, you're orienting somebody. Precepting position, orienting position, whatever it is you're talking about. Say you know this person. Say they have you know, a history being with the organization and you've seen what they're capable of before and they're upgrading or something. And just because you know this person, just because you've seen what they're capable of before in previous roles doesn't necessarily mean they're currently prepared for the new role. So you as a leadership, you in a leadership position, you as the preceptor, you as the individual handling the orientation, it is your job to set them up for success. And there should be clear-cut guidelines, clear, measurable metrics as to what success looks like, as to what's setting them up for success within the organization, within the position that they are moving into, looks like. It shouldn't be subjective. It shouldn't be the opinion of five or six other individuals who, oh, yeah, this person's good. They did this. and they were good. Okay, cool. There should be clear-cut metrics that everybody who that person is is associated with there may be more than one person who's running the orientation for that individual and that's fine training with different individuals gets different perspectives but the end result should be the same regardless of who is handling the orientation and it should be objective with clear-cut metrics clear-cut areas of achievement before anyone says, yeah, you're good to go. And unfortunately, that happens all too often in the organization, or I should say in the industry of EMS. Can't tell you the amount of times I've seen people come through precepting programs. Oh yeah, they're good to go, blah, blah, blah. They've been here already. They've been in the company for XYZ years. They they should be good to go. Just, you know, put in the, the minimum amount of hours needed and they're all set to go. That is not true at all. If you've got someone who's upgrading from, uh, for example, EMT basic to paramedic, they're going to need more than 30 or 40 hours of orientation to get them where they need to be. Now, not even necessarily clinically. They should be, you know, at that minimum standard, which is the national registry. They should be at the minimum standard to at least do the job, the clinical aspect of the job, as they enter the door, which is why we do ride time to get us ready to do the basics of the job. 
orientation within the organization, precepting, isn't necessarily to get you ready to be a medic. It's to get you ready to succeed in that role in that organization. As far as the procedural stuff, keeping track of the narcotics, the narcotics log, the how do I, you know, what, how do I make an actual notification to a STEMI facility? How do I make an actual notification to a stroke center? What do I, what, if you're coming from a position that had no real responsibility other than doing what the medic told you to do to now being that medic. Yes, you know, you have the clinical knowledge, you have the baseline understanding of how to do the aspects of the job. But are we as preceptors holding them to the standard of clear, measurable data metrics to set them up for success within the organization, not necessarily success within the industry, the job, because that's on them. If they want to be a crappy medic, they can be a crappy medic. The amount of time, effort, education that they put into themselves is on them. It's our job as preceptors. It's our job as mentors to set them up and lead them on a path of success within the organization that we're at, but at the same time to enable them and empower them, motivate them to pursue higher levels of education, higher levels of skill. As a matter of fact, it is your job as a leader, as your job as a mentor, your number one job is to make yourself obsolete, to get them to the point where they don't need you anymore. And it is your job as the mentor, your job as the preceptor to then report to whoever's above you, whoever's calling the shots, the leadership of the organization. It's your job to report to them whether so-and-so is actually capable of doing the job functioning at the level they're supposed to function at, whether or not you feel as though they're going to be successful within the organization. As a matter of fact, if they're not, it's actually a, makes you as the preceptor look poor. Because realistically speaking, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. If the people under you are failing, it's because you are failing as a leader. And honestly, any leader who just takes at face value Oh, yeah, so-and-so is good, blah, blah, blah. They're good to go. Sign them off. Get them on the truck. If you as the leader are more concerned about just filling open schedules on the truck, open schedules, open shifts, whatever, the industry, whatever the situation is, whether that's hospital, whether that's EMS, whether that's whatever, if you as a leader are more concerned with just filling the slot, getting whoever you can get in there as quickly and as cheaply as possible, then you should not be in a leadership. You, you are a manager. You are not a leader. Because a leader empowers the people under them to be the best they can be, which further then motivates them to be higher performers for the organization. If my leadership could care less whether or not I'm in the spot and just some rando person gets in the spot, guess how my performance is going to be? I'm going to have zero motivation to perform for you because you could care less if I'm the one who's in the seat or not. Which honestly leads me to my next failure, which a lot of leadership, and I use the term loosely, is responsible for or guilty of, and that is what I call failure to feed. And I really mean that on every aspect. I mean, a lot of us, yes. Do we get happier when our leadership provides us with food? Absolutely. It's one of your underlying you know, physiological needs. But at the same time, you can't buy me, you can't buy my loyalty, you can't buy my productivity, you can't buy my work ethic, you can't buy my drive, you can't buy my motivation simply by feeding me physical food. 
I also need my mental needs fed and I need my emotional needs fed. And I know, you know, the whole talk of emotion thing, blah, blah, blah. Like it's, it's very, we don't want to discuss things that make us feel vulnerable or there's a, a stigma surrounding talking about emotion. But at the same time, it's one of your basic human needs. I'm sure all of you have taken a psychology class at some point in your life and have heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And there are some physiological needs, which you talked about, you know, the food aspect, actual real food, vitamins, water, things like that, things that your body biology needs to survive. You know, there's there's a sense of safety that needs to be fulfilled. I need to feel safe and secure in my residents need to feel safe and secure in my finances need to feel safe and secure in the fact that I have a job to go to and that it's not a hostile work environment so if that need is not being being fed and being met it's going to lead to decreased productivity as well it's going to lead to decreased respect of of leadership uh a sense of of, of belonging really a sense of do I actually belong here we all have a a, an underlying desire to be part of something bigger be part of an organization that does something um so do we belong Are, are, are we as leaders creating an environment that makes those in our charge feel welcome feel like they belong to the collective and then once we can provide a sense of belonging to them it goes into building esteem for them and providing a sense of self-actualization for them. And once those things are met, you know, they go on the path of that personal and professional growth. And if we can feed all of our employees, all of our staff's physical, mental, emotional needs, then they're going to seek out professional growth for you as the leader, they're going to respect you more as the leader because you're giving them the things that they knowingly need, but also the things they subconsciously aren't aware that they need. You're feeding their entire being, feeding their body, feeding everything, the things that they need for that self-actualization, for that validation, that they belong where they are, that they're happy where they are. And our staff are not going to be happy especially in a place where leadership is not respected. Because if leadership is not respected, there's reasons why leadership is not respected. And I truly believe one of the greatest reasons that leadership is truly not respected is when the powers that be forget that we lead people and manage things. They tend to get that reversed and think of the people as the things that need to be managed. And in doing so, remove the value that the person in that position has to offer to the organization. Now I get there's things to be done, there's deadlines to meet, missions to be completed, but the directives that you give those in your charge, think of it like think of it like food. Even if it was your absolute favorite food, nobody would enjoy their favorite food if it was absolutely stuffed down their throat. We as human beings don't enjoy having things imposed upon us in general, I would like to assume, although given the current situation in society, 
a lot of people are welcoming things being imposed on them, but that's a whole different, that's a whole different episode. But anyway, what you want to do, if you're going to impose anything on those in your charge, impose on them the ability to take ownership, let them take the risk and take the accountability to take ownership for the things that they are doing. Give them ownership. You know, when it comes to completing a plan, completing the mission, completing whatever it is, it really doesn't matter whether it's my plan as the leader or someone else's plan as the follower. As long as the outcome is in the ballpark of where I wanted it to be. How we get there, I don't care as long as we get there. In fact, when you give someone the autonomy to make those decisions, to take ownership of the situation, the outcome is actually going to be more desirable. They're going to want to execute it even better because it's their idea on the line. You know, if I impose my plan down somebody else's throat and something goes wrong, they don't have any ownership of that. And it gives them the opportunity to say, oh, yeah, see, it's it's going to work. We should have just done it my way. But if we use their plan as leaders when they run into an obstacle, they're far more likely to come up with a solution for overcoming the obstacle that, that came up than they were or would be if it was something that you had instituted as the plan. It's not your job as the leader to have all the solutions. It's not your job as a leader to be able to solve all of the problems within the organization. However, it is your job as the leader to empower those that are under you with the autonomy, with the authority, with the ability, the ownership of coming up with the solutions to those very problems. And when you bestow some ownership ability on those that are in your charge, when you truly give them the ability to make the decisions and, and be accountable for the plan that they implement, you will see just how much respect you gain from the people that are below you. Nobody likes to be micromanaged. And I think part of the reason why leadership is not respected is because they're failing to feed these three things. But also because a lot of them lack underlying, you know, back to the emotion aspect, they, they lack emotional intelligence. And in order for someone to maintain or, or, or possess emotional intelligence, they have to, number one, be motivated themselves. They have to have some type of drive, some type of motivation in the end. Uh, they have to be self-aware and self-regulating, really, being able to be, number one, aware of their own emotions, aware of others' emotions, and then regulating as well. I regulate how I react to my own emotions and how I react to others' emotions in conversations, in conflict, whatever. Simply by by, by practicing self-awareness and self-regulation of others in my own emotions, I can pretty much resolve or minimize conflict. A lot of people avoid conflict because they are afraid of the outcome. They're afraid that so-and-so is not going to like me. They're afraid it's going to make someone angry. That you know, There's some underlying fears associated with conflict, which is why people avoid it. But if you are avoiding conflict, it means that you as the leader, you as the individual, really anyone, leadership or not, 
if you're avoiding conflict, avoiding difficult conversations, conversations that could benefit you, benefit the organization, benefit your family, whatever the situation is, if you're avoiding that conflict, it means that you have an underlying fear of something because you lack the self-awareness. You lack the ability to self-regulate. You lack the ability to control how you react to others' emotions, and you lack the ability to control your own emotions in the situation. And a lot of that comes down to how to read people, social skills. If I don't have the ability to talk to people, to have conversations, then how am I going to be able to learn how to react to anyone's emotions? I'm going to be able to react to my own. If I'm if I'm so socially awkward that I avoid conversations at all cost, how do I know how I'm going to react to different levels of emotion? And I'll tell you right now, nothing I'm speaking on currently came naturally to me. It all had to be learned, all had to be developed because I was the king of being socially awkward. I was homeschooled the vast majority of my of my my schooling through my youth. So I didn't exactly have well-adjusted social skills. And even to this day, certain social environments honestly give me a little bit of uh, anxiety. And I tend to avoid some types of interaction sometimes. But it was something I have to, to physically control put on the back burner and force myself to interact and had to force myself to develop those skills and develop that emotional intelligence so that I could function in my current career path and function in a leadership role and learn to read people and learn how to read other people's emotions and learn how to react to them. And you can deny it all you want. Every single one of us, our work is driven by emotion how we feel well, i don't feel like going to work today oh oh i love my job they're all there's, there's emotions surround what we do emotions form the basis of every relationship whether that's peer-to-peer whether that is leadership to employee middle level leadership to upper level leadership regardless there are some significant emotions surrounding those relationships So we as the leaders need to do everything we can to prevent these failures, to minimize or or at least put boundaries on the friendships that we have in our leadership positions, avoid showing favoritism to anybody, give fair opportunity or provide fair opportunity to everyone who is in our charge, and then feed those underlying needs yeah absolutely buy your guys lunch whatever but more so than that prepare them give them provide them with the tools provide them with the autonomy to take ownership of their own actions micromanaging your employees is the best and most effective way to lose the respect of those you're trying to lead you know, I don't have to like you as a person to respect you. I've had a number of leaders that I have personally disliked 
but respected them for their overall leadership ability. And just like the same thing, I've also had people that I've liked on a personal level, but feel as though do not belong in a leadership position and had zero respect for them in that leadership position, regardless of how I felt about them personally outside of work. Respecting the position and respecting the person are two different things. But if you, as a leader, have lost the respect as a person, it's only a matter of time before you lose that respect as the leader. So, whether you're the employee who is subject to one of these failures, you may be the one who's the favorite. You may be the one who's the friend. You may be the one who's not being treated fairly. You know, you may be the one who's not getting your hierarchy of needs met. Or you may be the leader who's committing one or all of these failures. But be aware that one of these failures is all of these failures. And you know what? You don't even have to necessarily be in a quote-unquote leadership position to be a leader. You may possess leadership qualities. You may be a nobody in your organization. But if you as a fellow employee gain the respect of the people, it's been said, he who holds the people holds the power. So you as a bottom-line employee may actually have more influence amongst your peers than leadership ever will. So get out there and be the successful leaders I know you can be. Until next time, guys, Joe for yourselves, Joe for each other. Keep your boots polished and your head hell high. This episode was brought to you by Blackout Coffee. Visit them at www.blackoutcoffee.com and enter coupon code BLACKCLOUD at checkout and receive a 10% discount on multiple blends and flavors to fuel your coffee, cocoa, and loose leaf tea needs. The views and opinions expressed in this production are in no way a substitution for your agency's policies, procedures or guidelines. The content and ideas are that of Black Cloud Society, and in no way reflect the views and opinions of the employers of those involved with this production. We thank you for tuning in.